Hello, and welcome to Brain to Board. About five weeks ago, I decided to start designing a board game. About four weeks ago, I decided to start this podcast to document the thinking behind the game itself and the process of actually getting it out into the world. Or should I say, the games themselves and the process of actually getting them out into the world. Here's the thing. I started this project because I had an idea for a board game I wanted to make, but this week I had another idea for a game I wanted to make. And I got a bit carried away and fully developed the new game rather than working on the other one that has already had all this work put into it. Is this lack of focus going to mean that I never finish anything? I'll talk a bit about that in this episode, after this brief intro music that I do at the start of episodes. Okay, so, yeah, um, this new game idea I've had. I, I mean, maybe I should talk about why... I'm making a new game, a different game, but I'll get into that after I explain what the game is. So, this weekend, tomorrow, as of when this is being released, I'm going to a Rubik's Cube competition. Yes, in case you didn't know, I'm a nerd. I solve Rubik's Cubes competitively. So I'm going to a competition tomorrow and the day after. It's a two-day thing, and I have a sort of tradition with some of the other cubers, as we're called, at the competition where we, like, go out and eat and then play games afterward, usually often just one game of Avalon. Or, well, several games of Avalon, but that's the only game we play. And this is a great and super fun tradition, and I always enjoy it. But I was thinking, what if I could, like, bring my game to have these people playtest it? Because I, I needed people to playtest my game. And then I was like, they probably won't like that, because they're not really into these, like, cooperative, collaborative things. And really, they just like playing these social deduction games, like... Avalon and One Night Ultimate Werewolf and that kind of thing. So at this point, a rational human being would have probably thought to themselves, well, that's fine, I'll just play those games when I'm with them and playtest my game another time with other people who are more into that kind of thing. That's not me, though. Instead, I thought, well, if they won't playtest this game, what if I invent a new one? It wasn't really as spur of the moment as I just made it seem right there. I've actually had this idea in my head for a little while, but I haven't decided to write anything down about it or really flesh it out until this week. And... So I did. Just like Avalon, The Resistance, One Night Ultimate Werewolf, it's a game of hidden identities and social deduction. And the goal was to sort of be a medium between One Night Ultimate Werewolf and The Resistance or Avalon. Because The Resistance and Avalon, especially if you're playing with the groups I'm playing with, they take a long time. And there's this sort of constant deduction over a long period of time where you're trying to figure stuff out. You always know what your goal is, but you're trying to figure out who you can trust, that kind of thing. With One Night Ultimate Werewolf, it's very short. It's just like a game takes like five, five to ten minutes. And it's a lot less focused. Like you don't really know what your goal is half of the time. And part of the game is figuring out what your goal even is. So I wanted something a little bit in between that where it wasn't quite as random as One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Not that that's a bad thing. That makes One Night Ultimate Werewolf a lot of fun where it's just like, well, I know what I started as, but I have no idea what I am now. So that's a lot of fun. But I wanted something that was a little bit more in the player's control, so it felt more purposeful and directed by the players. But I didn't want to quite get to that same level of, like, really in-depth, like, I have to think about everything and double-guess everything and really, like, think, are they lying to me? Um, so I wanted to have a little aspects of both and maybe have a game that has the actual length of the game fall somewhere in the middle. So I'll give you a brief explanation of the rules of my game. Uh, this isn't really going to be the full rules. There's a bit more nuance and stuff, but the idea is... 
every player gets assigned their affiliation. That's just the term I've been using. It kind of makes sense with the theme I was going for, although I'm not 100% sure on the theme yet. Uh, but anyway, at the end of the game, you're going to be voting for a color, and there are three colors to choose from. Whatever color gets the majority of the votes, that color wins. But players aren't assigned colors. They're assigned whether they want the majority color or the minority color to win. One of the reasons I need a good theme is saying, like, majority and minority sounds like it's some kind of social commentary, which it isn't meant to be. It's a silly game, and I feel like there people could get the wrong idea if I use the words, like, especially the word minority, because that has some, you know, connotations. Not that you couldn't make a serious game about that kind of thing, but this game is not serious at all, so I don't want to deal with that kind of subject matter. But that's, that's the term I've been using for now, because that's literally what it is. You see, these color cards are passed out, and... There is a majority of one color and a minority of the other two, and one team wants the vote at the end to go for the majority color, the other team wants the vote at the end to go for the minority color. But the thing is, you don't know what any of the colors are except for one person who wants the minority color to win. That one person sets up the deck at the start of the game, but no one knows who they are, and no one knows what they set it as except for them. So they can even have other players on their team who are also trying to make the minority color win the vote, but they don't even know what it is. So sort of the hook of this game is that you have this sort of thing where you don't know all the information, but you at least know what your goal is, except for one person, but I'll get that get to that role later. The other hook of this game is that the entire information gathering phase, so there's sort of a, you know, everyone closes their eyes. If you've played The Resistance or Avalon, you know this sort of thing. It's like everyone closes their eyes, this role do this thing, this other role do this other thing. Okay, now we're done, everyone open your eyes. So you have that. But then also, a lot of the gameplay is played with your eyes closed, so there's a timed period, and you just set a strict time limit, and everyone takes turns, but there's no limit on the number of turns you can take. So as long as you fall within that time limit, you just keep the game moving, everyone taking as many turns as they want to. When it's your turn, you open your eyes, look at some cards as specified by your role, put the cards back, and then tap someone else, and now it's their turn. So during that process, you gain some knowledge about the cards. If you're one of the people who wants the majority color to win, that's how you get your information. But you're only going to be looking at one card per turn, usually. And you're not going to get a ton of those turns because it's a pretty short time limit. So you have to talk to everyone else to see what they saw. But people are also switching cards without looking at them. So you have to get some reliable information from people. You're like, okay, but you switched those two cards, and then I, I moved those two, and then you looked at that. So that card was actually the same as this other one, so even though we saw the same color twice, that doesn't necessarily mean there are two of that color, because I'm pretty sure that card was the same card. So that's the way the minority players can sort of try to convince the others that they what they're seeing, even though they are seeing the majority of the color the majority of the time. If you can make up a reliable, convincing story as to how they're, they're actually seeing the same card multiple times then you can convince them that the majority color is something else. And you're like, okay, yeah, no, I saw a lot of blue. Like, I, I, I was able to look at two cards, and they were both blue. And then someone else is like, yeah, well, I looked at two cards, and I saw they were both red. But you, as the player who wants the minority color to win, you could say, okay, well, but wait, did you see those? Because I know I tapped you one of those times, and that was right after I switched these two cards. So which one did you look at? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, no, that one was the same one I looked at, and that one's red. So... I don't, you can you can basically make up this whole story, and depending on how convincing you are and how believable you are, the players on the majority team have to work together to figure out who's lying to them and what the actual majority color is. So that's the idea. 
And as soon as I sort of thought of that, especially with the whole real-time things, so part of the strategy is like how quickly do you move? Maybe you think you already have enough information so you can just slow down and make it a lot easier to track what gets moved around. But if you don't have the information you need, you want to move as quick as possible so you can get more information. But the quicker you move, the more things you're going to be swapping and the harder it's going to be to remember. So yeah, all in all, I think that's going to make it a quite fun and hectic game where you still nonetheless know what you're trying to do basically the whole time. Now, there is one other role that I couldn't help but add in because it sounded like a ton of fun, and that was the role of, I don't know, I'm calling them the loyalist because they're loyal to whatever color they end up with at the end. But the thing is, they get to look at a lot more cards than the other players during the eyes closed phase, so they gain more information. Like, at the end, they're probably going to know what the majority color is, but the leader of the minority team knows who they are. And that player also knows what cards everyone has, so that player can try to convince the loyalist player that they are holding a minority color. And if they're holding minority color, they want that color to win the vote. So, adding this player who doesn't really know what their, what their card is, but they can get that information from the other players and try to figure that out, but the other players can lie to them to try to make them go one way or the other, that adds a whole other layer of complexity to the, to the game, where you can sort of make make the vote go one way or the other because this one person just wants their own color to win. They don't care about anything else. And the whole thing is time-based, so you have to make a decision on what you vote after a certain amount of time, probably like five minutes for a small game with like five players. Uh, the more players you have, probably the more time you need. That's all stuff I still need to work out, because the more players there are, the more information everyone has, and so you just need more time to work all that out. After I made this, it was a little bit like what I was going for, and I really like this. This is going to be sort of the primary game mode. But I thought I could try to add in a little bit more of the sort of resistance Avalon aspect of a longer game where the results of one game can influence what you think about the next. And, or, well, in Avalon, it's like different rounds. So I wrote up some rules for playing this as a best of three where everyone stays on the same teams the whole time. So you play one game and everyone votes on something. So you know what color won the vote, but you never reveal what color was the majority. So whoever the minority player was who set up the deck in the first place, they know who won that round, but no one else does, and no one knows who that player is if they've played their cards well, or not really played their cards, if they've played their interactions well and not given themselves away, so they know if they've won or lost that first round. And then you play a second round. In the second round, you all vote for another color to win, and then at that point, the player who knows everything, they know, either know, okay, well, I've just lost two, in which case I can tell everyone, well, we've lost the best of three, or they know they've won two, in which case they can tell everyone, hey, guess what? I won. Suckas. Or they know that one team won one, and the other team won the other. Oh, and in this version, there is no loyalist, so you're definitely on one of the teams. And if one team won one of the games and the other team won the other, now the majority team has a lot more information they can use going into that last game. So they can try to think, okay, well, if everyone played this way in the one game and they played this way in the other game, maybe that looks a little suspicious on that game. So that makes me think that, oh, yeah, and then the, also they voted for a different color than the one that we all voted for in the first game. So maybe they're the one who was trying to mess things up. But maybe you who voted for that color on the first game are actually the person, and that was the game we lost, because you don't know which game you lost, so you have to try to figure this whole confusing web out. And as I'm explaining it right now, this probably sounds crazy and nonsensical, because it is, and that's the sort of reasoning you're going to have to use. But the thing is, I feel like there is enough information that you can still tease apart this riddle, and I should mention I haven't playtested this at all. 
This has all been stuff I've just been fantasizing about inside my brain, so it might not work in practice, but I hope it does because it seems really fun to me. I just really like the idea of not knowing if you've won after the first round and having to play another one, and then after that, if the game doesn't end and like no one says anything, you just have to assume, okay, one team won one game, the other team won the other, and you don't know which one you won. I, I just really like that dynamic and having to not only try to figure out who you're playing against, but trying to figure out which game you even won to see if you can gain any other information from that. There's just so many layers of deception that I think it would be super fun, especially for people who have a lot of experience with these other games. So now that I've explained it, hopefully you can hear some of the enthusiasm I have for it uh, in my voice. And there are a lot of reasons I can think of to try to make this game rather than this other large collaborative game. Cooperative? Collaborative? I don't know which term I want to use. I use them interchangeably. Uh, rather than this other cooperative game, <laughs> cooperative game that I've been working on. Um, for one thing, this game requires a lot less art. Like, there's no boards, there's just a box and a bunch of cards. And that's really all you need. And then I'm also probably going to throw in some, like, plastic or, like, resin components because I feel like the really fun way to vote at the end of the round for which color wins is to, like, put a colored stone in your hand. Of course, it would be made of, like, plastic. And then reveal that all at the same time. I feel like that's a super fun way to, win, like, vote. And I, I don't know. It would just add a little bit of a tactile component at the end that it makes it better than just, like, you know, putting in a card of a color. So it requires way less art, so that's going to be a lot less expensive. It has fewer components, so it's going to be a lot cheaper to produce. Smaller box and less weight, so it's way lower shipping costs. And actually, even though my other game is only for two to three people, I have access to groups of people who like to play games like this. So even though it requires way more people, it requires, well, it's five to ten, I can playtest it more easily because I'm going to have five to ten people who want to play this. And I've talked to them, and they seem pretty enthusiastic, and they really want to check it out. So yeah, I have two games now, and I really like them both. But it's just that this one is smaller and easier to make than the other, so it makes sense to me to do it first. And then once I have this game under my belt, I'll have gone through the whole process on like the easy mode and be able to step it up to the hard mode for the next one. So at this point, I'm leaning towards making this one first. But I, as I said, I haven't playtested it yet, really. And I have no idea if it works. So if it doesn't work, it's going to be back to the drawing board and then more playtesting. And then you know, it just might not work out. The other one, I know for sure there is a viable product in there. Like, I've been playtesting the other one. I can playtest it on my own, and I know it works as a game. So if this one doesn't work out, I'll still have that one that I can, you know, produce and sell and whatever. But if this one works out, it's going to be easier for me and just as fun. So, yeah, we'll see. I'll be playtesting it this weekend, just like the days after this gets posted. So I will update you. Uh, but yeah, that was about what I did this week. Made up a whole new game, and I actually came up with a bunch of different ideas for other games, but I, I was just in sort of the mood for making stuff, so I just wrote down a bunch of ideas. Um, none of them really developed nearly as much as this one, though. So, this has been the Brain to Board podcast. I don't ever call it that, I just call it Brain to Board. I'm Andrew Nathanson. I upload these every Friday, and if you want, you can email me at Brain to Board, just spelled like the name of the show with no spaces. Don't put any spaces in there, I'm watching you at gmail.com. I should probably include that part that actually makes it an email address. The music in this podcast is by Technoax, and I will talk to you next week.